This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and there was no MMA, or at least major MMA, over the course of the weekend. I mean, we had that KSW event, and uh, I believe it was XES MMA, the one where James Vick fought, but... Big glory card that you're back from, Joe. You were calling yeah. glory in New Jersey, and now you're back. You're, you're in quarantine at the condo and uh, ready to talk MMA. But one thing I want to ask you about first. So after Doombay fights, Grisham puts you on the spot. He says, would you yeah, come I back know. and fight Doombay? So is this something that he does every time there's a title fight in the 170-pound division? Because, A, uh, you're never going to say, oh, I, I don't want to come back or I'm not going to fight this guy because you don't believe that anybody can beat you. But at the same time, can you make 170 pounds? I mean, that's my big question. Yeah, see, that's actually the fun I'm into now. I mean, I'm like, uh, I've actually cut down. I got a little chubby over the holidays, so now I'm coming down, and a part of me wants to see if I can get to my pre-cut weight. So that's going to be a little fun project I'm on now. I'm about 204 pounds this morning, so if I can get down to like 195, 190, I'm pretty good. I can make it. Well, you're think- so you're thinking about this. So is this an actual th- a thought you're yeah. having? No, it's just for fun. I mean, it's just for me being in shape and just uh, seeing if I could just make weight again. I-, I just found myself the other day being like, I still train so hard, but I've been so lazy on my diet. So you look at me, I look like, oh, everyone's like, oh, you look so big and buff and strong. I was like, yeah, it's partly because I put on fat and water with it. But I want to see how lean I can get again, going back to, to fight shape and it's just at the end of the day, it helps my MMA guys too. Like my guys, like Matt Special, like he's going to be fighting, uh, you know, hopefully in the bigger shows in the in the coming year. And I feel like the best way as a coach I can give these guys good training is by me being in there with them. Like I genuinely believe, like I'm still one of the best strikers in the world. So me having my guys uh, sparring with my guys on a daily basis just makes them that much better. Mm-hmm. So when when Grisham puts you on the spot, though. It seems oh, like you, it seems like you're leaving the door open though. Are you? Is the door open? I, I I leave it for fun because I think the the illusion's there. And I always told my boss, I said, hey, like the door's always open. If you offer me, if you change Badrhari's contract and you put Joseph Valtellino over Badrhari's name, then I understand it's a little bit more enticing for me. But I just think even even in the UFC, the salary and the pay is not there um, enough for me to to be interested in something. At this point, it would be one legacy. Um, and two, it would be more of a financial thing where it'd be a big payday for me to want to come out. So the option's open if somebody wants to, to pay. All right. Well, there yeah. you go. So, uh, well, that yeah. makes sense. I mean, hey, I mean, that's one of the benefits of being retired is you don't owe anybody anything, right? Exactly. <laughs> so they want you. Reward. They want you. Show me the money. But uh, a great card. I really enjoyed uh, seeing that fantastic super fight between uh, Pereira and, and Vakitov. I thought that was yeah, extremely yeah. high-level kickboxing. And, uh, I was curious to hear your thoughts on it, to be honest. I looked back after I saw you were tweeting about it and some good points. I mean, that MMA fans might not know, like our five judges. Yeah, I like the five judges. But then somebody got back to me and somebody responded and was like, well, the five the five judges doesn't matter if none of them know what they're doing. I was like, well, I guess you're yeah, right. True. I guess. And I mean, yeah. Glory seems to have, he was saying that he watches a lot of Glory. He's Netherlands-based as Marcel Dorf, who uh, breaks a lot of news. I would recommend him as a follow. But he was saying that he watches a lot of kickboxing and that the five judges doesn't seem to make a difference anyways. It seems like they get yeah. it wrong, too. Well, it's better. I mean, at least three people have to get it wrong instead of two, you know. So it's not. So it helps a little bit more, I, I feel. But, I mean, we don't have our regular announcers, so we really didn't get the full benefit of the five judges. Usually, um, 
we have Tim Hughes, who to me is one of my favorite in-ring announcers, and he would squad, give the scores. And I just think for this some reason we told this new ring announcer to, to read the scores out, but he didn't. I'm so curious. Yeah, I, I noticed that they didn't know read the, the scores. Had it, you know? And and then there was open scoring for a while, and then the open scoring after the the uh, the winner was named, it was the wrong winner. It was the winner. It wasn't the actual winner on the open judging on the open score. Yeah, I think the issue was the translation from the judges to the graphic person on the tv so i think the person on graphics put it in wrong okay so the right person won then because that's what i was i so emailed right someone from won. glory yes what right person won and i think that kind of messed up the commentary a little bit because todd and i storyline is off of the judges okay you know abana is winning two rounds to one the virus has to pick up the win mm-hmm. so that was the one of the few cases where like the open score really ruined the fight but it did seem like we Abena was winning a fight. little bit more biased to the winner because yeah. that's what we thought who was winning it seemed to me though that abana was winning that fight me too. I thought he was doing great. I thought he was landing the more effective shots, to be honest. So I, I thought like he won legit. Mm-hmm. So, so but it was you, interesting. Did you know the scorecards after? Did you find out the scorecards afterwards? Like, do you know how the judges scored Vaki Tov? I could look it up if I really wanted it to, and I, I we did look it up, and they were just all over the place. It was one of those where one judge had it like all Pereira. I believe it was one of the judges had it all Pereira or all Vakitov, and we're like, I don't know. So I mean, like I said, the, there is the discrepancy, but I personally thought uh, Vakitov did enough to win. I, I thought he you. just was going forward a little bit more. Um, yeah, I thought he did. Well, I thought it was volume versus. I thought it was just volume versus precision. I thought that Vakitov was really picking his shots. His accuracy was way higher. He wasn't just throwing volume. I thought Pereira was throwing volume. And I mean, Pereira is obviously very heavy-handed. But I, I didn't seem like it was phasing Vakitov all that much. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I can see how somebody would score five rounds either way. Honestly, like those were just super close rounds. Yeah, yeah. Is it, I mean, those two are like, in my mind, and I kept saying on the broadcast, like those two are in the conversation of pound for pound best. I mean, you put Rico Verhoeven. I mean, now you put Cedric Dumbe because of the damage yeah. he's doing. He's knocking everybody out, so you have to put him in the conversation. And then you throw in those two. So, I mean, there's so many. The, the problem with kickboxing, we have these great guys now. We just need to keep these guys active and the opportunity for people to keep growing. Because I'm sure, like, I mean, it was exciting. There, there were good fights to watch. I was watching Dumbe, and I was thinking, if this guy was in mixed martial arts, he'd be like Connor. Like you just see his speeches. You see that? Did you see the video of him with the uh, with the the confessional? Oh yeah, it's, it was I mean, beautiful. It was unbelievable. And then yeah. he he does his post fight speech, and he's so charismatic, and he's like he 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 does like a Mystic Mac and says second round, I'm gonna knock this guy out. Yeah. Like he he has every single thing that that would make you a superstar. Yeah, I think just the one thing that would be great is I mean. It sucks that the Frenchness to be. To, I think the the sport needs to grow a little bit more here in North America. So if he could attract a little bit more of that North American audience, Joe Rogan's talking about him. I think he's going to go big. I mean, if he just did even more. Like he went out trolling Myrtle Grunhardt, his opponent, for wearing the same pants for like eight years. So he went back in eight years of pictures and made a whole highlight video of Grunhardt wearing the same pants. And then he said him wearing the same pants was the cause of the coronavirus. To the point where, to the weigh-in, he wore he he bought the same-looking <laughs> pants, wore them to weigh-in, started throwing his pants at Myrtle in the weigh-in. Like he just sold the fight beautifully. And the best thing is, at the end, if you go on their social media, they're they're shaking hands, they're hugging, 
Um, it was just beautiful to see the trash, the beef, the rivalry, then the hugging at the end. It's but just, that's, that's just what like good Connor. boxing is. Like, and uh, yeah. it doesn't matter that he's French. I mean, Connor's Irish, but I think that that's part of Connor's appeal is that he has kind of this exotic thing to him where he's not North American. I think that Dumbe honestly would translate, especially with, with what he does inside the ring. I mean, he's just so heavy-handed. I know this is an MMA yeah. podcast and it's becoming a kickboxing podcast for the first little bit, but I don't really. It doesn't really matter to me. I, I just think that Dumbe. He just has all the characteristics of a superstar, and he's he's just oh, unbelievable. For sure, yeah. I think I mean, it's just the problem here was a little bit with like Rico. Rico's not selling enough to the North American audience, I guess, because he's the nice guy, and we have lots of those. But you're right, Doombay could be that star that really really grows us. I mean, Pereira's just that nasty, scary guy that everyone's talking about, and then there's Doombay. So I think those two are the ones that could really launch kickboxing back in North America. Well, it seems like Pereira is probably going to make the shift to MMA this year. It seems like that would be the indication. We we saw what happened yeah. with him in LFA. I mean, he's 33, though. I mean, I just don't know. You know, a lot of people say, oh, this is going to be the guy that's going to fight Israel. It's like, I don't know. I think the expectations are a little bit too high on him. He he doesn't have as much MMA experience as Israel had. He doesn't have, you know, he's 33. I, I, how yeah. long would it take him to get to the top of a, a UFC, not, not just to the UFC, but to the top of the UFC middleweight division? Off of just having beaten Israel before in kickboxing, I, I just think it's an unrealistic uh, thing to, for people to expect this guy to be a top middleweight within the next two years. Yeah, I, I mean, it all depends on his takedown defense, to be honest with you, because he has the style like because he 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 moves his head, he counters, he slips. So I mean, he's got the striking style to do it, but it all comes down. We haven't seen his ground being tested. How does he do when someone's clinching up with him, trying to take him down? So I think that'll define a lot of things. But he's someone who you don't have to build up. I feel like if he does well, two, three fights, you can put him with guys who will stand. Like I can't see why you know you couldn't put him with like a Pablo Costa or something, someone who might stand there and bang with him and and kind of have fun like that. And who knows? I th- I think he can do it. It all comes down to his takedown defense. So. We'll see as he gets better and, and goes through. Yeah, I mean, I think that Pereira's stand-up alone, if you match him up properly, he could certainly get to the uh, the top of the middleweight division. Yeah. Then you put him in there with a the wrestler, like you said. And they did that with Israel. They put him in there with guys that knew that had decent grappling. But it wasn't until he fought Gastelum that he really fought a guy that was known for having really strong wrestling chops. Although Gastelum didn't really use it all that much and actually had a lot of success with Israel on the feet. Yeah, I just think it's the division for him, too. I mean... Welterweight, no chance. I don't think there's a, a welterweight kickboxer who can go in and just take on the champ. There's just they're, they're too wrestling heavy. But that, like I keep saying, those middleweights don't mind standing and banging. I mean, that's the perfect division for a, a good kickboxer to be in. Well, let's uh, switch gears to MMA. You got the main event this coming weekend, and while we're talking Netherlands, you got Alistair Overeem in the, uh, mm-hmm. the main event against. Uh, Alexander Volkov. I, I like this fight a lot. Um, I think that it will really give a good indication on who is at, like, I guess the bottom of the top tier, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're looking at the top tier of heavyweights. I feel like the winner of this fight basically gets into that top tier or, or establishes himself a top, as top tier. I think it's a really fun fight. I think that the line is probably where it should be. Volkov's about a minus 180 favorite. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, I mean, I feel Alistair, I mean is just holding on to that position. And I think this fight could be a little bit more of uh, Volkov trying to kind of crack in a little higher again. I just I, I just have a feeling we've seen the best of Alistair, and I think the fact that he's hanging in, UFC has him ranked at number five, is just phenomenal. But I really think this is about what Volkov can do to try to get back uh, up those ranks. Yeah, well, you look at um, Alex, you look at, uh, sorry, at um, 
Alistair's most recent fights, and he's looked like a top heavyweight. You see that fight with Rosenstrike where he lost at the last second of the fight, but he was winning up until then. Looked great against Augusto Sakai. They put Sakai against the, to see where he was at. Uh, a big win over Walt Harris. He was an underdog in that fight, and uh, even though he got he got tagged in the first, he was able to come back and, and make it look good. Uh, wins over Olenek, wins over Pavlovich. So since the Blades fight, which was over two years ago, it was June of 2018, if you discount the Rosenstrike fight, I mean, like I said, he got caught at the very end. He'd be on a six-fight winning streak, or five, uh, sorry, one, two, three, four, five, five-fight winning streak going into this fight, which would make him one of insane. the longest winning streaks in the heavyweight division. Yeah, that's insane, man. I mean, just Alistair, just from what he's done, I just can't believe he's one of those rare genetic breeds that can keep doing it. He reminds me of, like, um, Andre Arlovsky. These guys are still doing so great after, you know, so many years in this career, so... I mean, I, I just personally can't see Alistair being able to, to take another Nagano shot in his career and stuff like that. But uh, Well, Volkov's just, not going to be the one that does that, right? Volkov is more of a point fighter at heavyweight. And yeah. I think that that's why this for Alistair is actually a good matchup because he's going to yeah. have the ability to adjust when he needs to. And there are very few that are as good at, at adjusting it in the heavyweight division as Alistair. Yeah, I just... I, Alistair, to me, is just a rare Yoel Romero breed, and I just can't believe what he's done, how long he's done it for, and I will be an Alistair Overeem fan my entire life. Well, you look at That's the for sure. you look at the odds of this fight. There's uh, one. I did my TSN edge picks, and uh, I, I like the over two and a half rounds is minus one fifteen, but even Overeem uh, by decision is plus six fifty. Like that's a. Uh, I think Overeem can win a decision here, and even Volkov by decision is plus three twenty. I think this fight goes the distance, Joe. I, you know, I, I know it's a heavyweight fight, and you're looking at five rounds, but I expect this fight to go the distance. Yeah, I, I can, it's definitely going to be a more of a technical aspect fight. I think we'll see these guys have to be a little bit more strategic, set things up, set up traps, mixture strikes. So I think these guys are going to have to to be a little bit more creative, and I could really see the decision happening. I, I agree with you there. And the co-main event, I love this fight as well. Corey Sanhagen against Frankie Edgar. You have to imagine the winner of this fight is going to end up getting a, a title fight uh, against the winner of Aljamain Sterling and, and Piotr Jan. I know Sanhagen lost to Aljamain and really wants to get that one back. Uh, I interviewed both these guys on the uh, TSN MMA Show interview edition, which came out uh, just this morning. Great, great, uh, great interviews this week in terms of the lineup. Uh, we had uh, Kamaru Usman, Sanhagen, nice. Edgar, Eddie Alvarez, Demetrius Johnson, and uh, Mike Rodriguez. That's a, that's a pretty stacked show. And not to mention, we've got some, uh, a little bit of uh, a bonus at the end of this podcast. I interviewed uh, Manel Boy. Cape as well. So we'll have, we'll have an interview with Manel Cape at the end of this, uh, this particular show. It's actually Manel Cop. I asked him before the interview. Everybody calls him Manel Cape, but it's, uh, it's mm. Manel Cop. He's making his debut against Pantoja. That's... That is like the, the sleeper great fight on this card in terms of the, the flyweight division. These guys both are just like marauders in, in the cage. And what do we know about Manel? Because that's a pretty big fight to, to come in and to take against Pantoja. Well, Manel was uh, the, the champion in Ryzen. He uh, is coming off a win over Kai Asakura, knocked out Kai Asakura in the second round. Um, has a win over uh, Takeo Mizugaki. Just a, a guy and a knockout of Ian McCall in the first round. Like This is just a guy that, that goes forward and has a lot of tools. It's nice to see him in the UFC. I think that he actually matches up very well with um, with Davison Figueredo if it ever ends up there. But I think Pantoja actually is probably a tougher matchup for him than Davison even. You know, Pantoja is just so well-rounded. But Cop uh, keeps predicting every fight, second-round knockout. He's won three in a row, second-round knockout. And he, uh, he says he's going to do it again this time. 
And he represents Angola. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, from Angola. Trained at AKA. Had trained at AKA Thailand for some time with Mike Swick. And now has moved over to AKA in San Jose to train with Javier Mendez. I'm actually, you know, you know, um, this co-main event, I'm actually excited for. And I'm, with this Corey Sanhagen, I mean, I've been hearing so much talk, so much hype. And I know he's winning, but I really haven't paid too much attention to him and i just i think this is the fight where i'm going to really sit down and and pick him apart look at his style um because lately that's all i've really been hearing a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff uh from him from the community so it's someone uh, i'm going to really watch I, I don't know if frankie edgar's the one to overly test him I, I still think frankie's got uh what he has to do the skills the mindset the iq but for me this is really about watching sanhagen and how good he can be well, I have an interesting story. I might have told this to you already on the podcast because I tell the story all the time. But uh, I interviewed uh, the coaches for Curtis Blades two plus years ago. Who all, they also coach Sandhagen. They're, they're from Team Elevation, and um, I asked them where Curtis's stand up was when he joined Team Elevation. And they said it was a zero, and, and I said, okay, well, where is it now? And this is before again the second Francis and Ganu fight. They said it's probably about a six. And I go, okay, well, if, if Curtis Blades is a six, who are the people that you think are a ten? And they go, well, you know, guys like John Jones, Corey Sandhagen, and named a couple other guys. I go, sorry, back up a second, Corey Sandhagen? Yeah. Yeah. So, so they said that they, and this is, a, this is a, you know, the striking coach for Team Elevation, um, Coach Lopez, and uh, Vinny Lopez. And Vinny Lopez was like, yeah, Corey Sandhagen is like a 10 out of 10 striking. He's just, his striking is unreal. So uh, keep an eye on him. I'm interested to hear what you think of his striking coming out yeah. of this fight because I think this is probably going to be a fight that's three rounds strike you know mostly striking oriented fight is 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 Corey Sanhagen's last fight the last to Aljamain Silver no he uh Sterling, he, sorry? his last fight was the first round wheel kick knockout of um, Marlon Marais oh okay the spinning yeah, wheel so, kick yeah so I remember Sanhagen if I remember correctly his uh his striking was really based on stance switching very good at switching stances being able to to use his hands and kicks both together well um long frame so, yeah, I'm going to really – I got to really pay attention to him uh, and, and see what kind of full package he brings. He's good at everything. And, you know, I think that you'd probably relate to something that I heard him say on Food Truck Diaries with Brendan Shaw. He said, uh, when I first got to the UFC and I was in the room with all the different fighters that were on the same card as me, I looked around and, and I, I could tell that most of them there didn't, didn't think they were going to become champions. Just from looking at them, I could tell they weren't there to be the champion. They were there to, they were there to be in the UFC or they're from a small town and they're there to represent their small town and – you know, now that they're in the UFC, they're, they've accomplished their goal. He goes, he goes that brought me, you know, uh, he, he said that brought him a lot of comfort, that he could just tell that there were very few people in the UFC that actually were there to become the champion. And I thought that was an interesting observation. Yeah. yeah, I guess he just realized his mindset was more than, you know, there's others in the room. I think that's important. So when I spoke to him on the uh, MMA, the TSN MMA show interview edition, I, I asked him, I go, how could you tell? And he was like, I could just, I looked at their body language. I, I just, he's like, I, I could just, I, I just knew in my heart that they just, that they didn't feel like they would be a champion one day just from being in the room with them. And I, I feel like that's something you can probably tell too, Joe. I mean, I'm sure you can tell the goods from the greats. Oh, for sure. I mean, right away from the way they walk in, from the way they're even warming up. I mean, you can tell right away. There's guys who come in who they're social, they're talkative. I mean, you can tell right away from the guy who keeps going, from the look in their eye, how excited they are even walking into that room. Like, I mean, after I've been doing martial arts now for 31 years, and when the gym's open, I still rush to the gym every Saturday morning because Saturday sparring is my favorite day of the week. After 31 years, I'm still like, 
rushing and speeding and 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 cutting through cars in traffic because I got to be the first one there ready to spar. Because this, I, that, that's my love. So I mean, once you see passion and you can see the guys who really get into it, who want to keep learning, who keep asking questions. I mean, those are your world champions. But a lot of times it comes from the coach. I think the coaches in these rooms have to remind the guys. I was reminded from an amateur, my first, I haven't even fought. And my coach was already telling me, he's like, oh, you're going to be a world champion one day. And I was like, okay, like I never even fought yet. How the heck is this even true? But then after each fight, I was like, I did good. Maybe he was right. And then I just kept believing it. And then once I believed that, it became true. So I think you need a good atmosphere and a good room and a good coaching staff that really builds that positivity in your mind because fighting plays way too many tricks on your head. Yeah, and I think that he's in the right spot. I think that Team Elevation, they, they think so highly of him. And if you ask any of the fighters that train at Team Elevation, and right now, I mean, Magny was just in the main event. You've got Alistair in the main event this weekend. He's also Team Elevation. Curtis Blades next weekend, main event, Team Elevation. Sandhagen co-main event. But if you ask any of them who's going to be the champion first, they all say it's going to be Sandhagen. Like they all just believe that San Hagen's got is going to be a champion one day, and the funny thing is he was he came up as a grappler. Like his striking is something that's more new to his game, and they still believe that he's a ten out of ten striker, right? So it's uh, I'm I'm just eager to see what the ceiling on him is, and you know when I when I was, I guess also in the interview with Shab, he he said about the the loss to Sterling, he goes, I just don't want to believe that anybody on the planet could have done that to me. Like I don't want I don't I I he's like I just can't imagine that somebody could have done what to me what he did to me and that that like that that loss still has such a bad taste in his mouth you can tell he really wants that one back did you interview with brandon schaub last week by the way did i interview with him yeah no i was listening to his podcast and he said oh i did an interview with tsn toronto Wow, he he's been in TSN at TSN's building, but that was like two years or two three years ago. No, he mentioned that he just did one, I think, in his last episode. Oh, maybe it was TSN or, Radio. Like maybe he. Oh, maybe I just thought I would assume right away if it was TSN no, and uh, talking about MMA. I was, was supposed you. to interview him. Uh, it was actually right before the pandemic hit. I was supposed to interview him, and uh, it fell through. He, he got busy with something, and I haven't followed up with him. I should follow up with him. I like I like the guy. Yeah. So, uh, because I mean, he messaged you once. Uh, remember, I told you he was on his podcast or something. He was mentioning, "Oh, Aaron Bronstetter," and it's like, "Oh, I love Aaron Bronstetter." Mm-hmm. And then the next week, he said something. He did something in TSM Toronto. I was like, "Oh," and then Aaron and her boys now, and they're just uh, they didn't even let me know. I was like, "Cool, <laughs> cool, Aaron. Thanks for letting no, me know." Well, I, if I if I if I did did so, I would have let you know. But uh, yeah, well, I, I have right, not spoken to Aaron. Uh, the TSN MMA show with Aaron and Brandon <laughs> Shaw behind my back. Okay, I got it. You know, I often I, I often it. forget. Which uh, which interviews I've done? I, I I would have remembered that one. I think. Okay. All right. But uh, just checking in. But yeah, so uh, I actually enjoy Food Truck Diaries a lot because I like listening to fighters interviewing fighters. I've I've actually really started to enjoy. I think you would actually enjoy the show. Uh, real quick with Mike Mike Swick. Mike Swick does okay. a podcast where he talks to fighters. Shot. I think you should. I think you would enjoy it. It's just a really good different perspective. Because yeah. I mean, I go ahead. Sorry, can, no, I was going to say Dan Hardy is one I try to listen to for more technical stuff. Mm-hmm. But, no, but uh, Swick is interviews. Like, Swick, okay. he's, it's just him interviewing fighters, and he's just got such a good rapport with them. Uh, and I just, I love hearing the fighters kind of let their guard down a little bit. And that, that's kind of, again, how I'm trying to approach these things as well, is just, I, I don't want, I feel like a lot of the people that do interviews in this sport, if you, if you don't if come from a fighting background, I feel like a lot of it is basically... You know, you, you don't really think of the fighters as people. You think of them as fighters. And I, I yeah. really am trying to break that wall down where 
when I'm interviewing these fighters, I'm talking to them about you know their lives and and things that they that they enjoy and and all of that, rather than just focusing on whoa, this is what's happening in the division and what happens if you get a win? Who do you want to fight next? I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of bored of it, so <laughs> I'm trying to yeah. to shake it up a little totally. bit. Yeah, I think the key is getting these guys maybe sometimes outside of the fight week because in fight week the questions are all the same the game plan how are you going to win and just the boring pre-fight questions but i think if you can catch these guys sometimes out of camp you'll get those nicer better answers and and just more of those conversations like i i personally hate interviewing fighters i i um, I, I would like to sometimes like get that flow with them, but when you automatically interview a fighter, it always becomes about their career, their fight. I'm just like, well, let's just have a talk about things in general, right? I'm not. I just want to have a, a flow. So it usually takes like 10, 15 minutes to get them out of that. Oh, my fight, my career, this, my next fight, and. So, I mean, that to me, especially, I was like, well, I can talk about all my fights, too. I don't really care about all your fights. So let's just talk about, you know, the things that we have in common and things that we do. So uh, I'm not a big fan of the fighter interviews. I'm actually more into the coaching these days and talking to the coaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, that, that's definitely true. It's good to get just a different perspective overall. But, uh, you know, when I spoke to Demetrius Johnson and Eddie Alvarez, their fights aren't until April. So I feel like I really got to talk to them about... Uh, something a little bit you know go in a little bit of a different direction with them so that was kind of fun but uh i don't know if people e even enjoy listening to interviews like the ones that i'm trying to do like maybe maybe people do want to just hear about you know oh tell me about the ufc's lightweight division who do you think is better justin gaethje or mcgregor you fought both of them it, i mean i i just yeah. feel like you can hear that anywhere so i i don't know i'm trying yeah. to i'm trying to diversify it a little bit but uh yeah i mean this coming card, I think that uh, those those two fights are really, uh, really important for the division, their respective divisions. The uh, the Overeem and Volkov fight. I know Overeem says he still he still has the goal of becoming the champion again, or uh, I guess fighting for the championship again. So uh, that's a good fight. Benil Dariush against Diego Fajeja. Uh, I was gonna say that. that I love that one too, isn't it? Is it a rematch? I think they fought years ago. Because I've been. I I've seen no, it look like it. for years ago. I thought they fought a while ago. They were booked to fight, and I think it got postponed. Okay. But I uh, so I love that Maybe matchup. his Wikipedia is wrong then. I think this was Unless they fought in Brazil. Oh, maybe they fought in Brazil previously. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at the, at the uh, odds history. They, they didn't fight each other in the UFC, that's for sure. And not in the UFC. Okay, so it must have been uh, pre-UFC that they fought. No, oh, interesting. And who won? Uh, Darius, I believe it was yeah, but no, uh, Darius. decision. No, it was actually in the UFC. It was UFC... 179. I stand corrected. Because right. so, um, I was looking at Darius because I was like, well, I was like, oh man, he's doing good. And then I saw a little highlight of his. I was like, he's on a, a knockout tear. So I wanted to look back at his UFC yeah. career and I was like, he's only lost to guys like Michael Chiesa, which was okay. That's a legit look hard at Chiesa, loss. Yeah. Um, he lost to someone else. Uh, who was it? I, I'm now in Butcher, who, Darius? Was, but I mean, yeah, he only lost like two fights, and both guys were like legit. Alexander Hernandez. Yeah. That was a short yes, notice against Alexander Hernandez. Nobody knew how good that guy was when he when he made his short notice yeah. debut, and, and, and he awesome. lost to Edson Barboza. So I mean, very good on knocking everybody out now. On and Ramsey all the fights he should win. He's finishing guys. I mean, I was like, I, I really like his style. I like his confidence. Well, I mean, he's um, he's a mainly a submission based fighter, and then now he's training with Rafael Cordero, and we know what happens when you yeah. train with Rafael Cordero. Yeah, I met him uh, in a glory event because he Cordero? was there with um, well Cordero and Darius because okay. they were there with um, Brain Freeze. 
uh, Giga Chikatse. Mm-hmm. Giga Chikatse. When Giga was fighting in, um, that's where like even in um, Rafael Cordero, I saw him in Abu Dhabi, and he was like, "Oh, you're Joseph Glory," because I met him a couple of times. So that was cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I mean, those guys are just done amazing things for him. Like I just think. The way he moves, how exciting his fights are. I think he's going to be something in that division for sure. Yeah, I mean, well, how old is, is he now? He's he's 36. So, I, Oh, sorry, that's oh. Diego Vejeja's 36. My, my mistake. Uh, Dariush is 30, 31. Yeah, so he's quite young still. He's, he's got time. Beautiful. He's got time. Not that, not that Vejeja doesn't have time. I mean, Vejeja's really been uh, an improving fighter in his own right. He's... He had that great win over Anthony Pettis recently, so he's he's been doing good things. In fact, uh, he's the favorite in this fight by a small margin. So, it's, uh, it's dropping some one. money on Darius. Yeah, there you go. Maybe that maybe that's my pick. Yeah, we were I seeing a bunch of changes to this card. Uh, O'Day Osborne was supposed to make his flyweight debut. Instead, he's fighting at featherweight now against Jerome Rivera, up two weight classes from where he was expecting okay, to yeah. fight. So that's an interesting one. Uh, what else? There was a, another change to that card. Uh, Macy Ch- uh, Ch- uh, Chasson and Marion Renault has been postponed, so that's going to be a little late, later. Uh, a, a big prospect that's debuting actually on very short notice is Askar Askar, who's fighting against uh, Cody Stamen. Took the fight on very short notice. Where's he from? He's from a different organization. He's in LFA. I've seen or heard the name. Okay. You might be thinking so of Askar Askarov. Askar Askarov okay, is in the UFC. This is Askar Askar. But uh, okay. yeah. He's uh Just he's been the cons- OV and you're there. Yeah, exactly. He's been considered a big uh a big prospect for some time. So that's uh well, it's interesting Michael to Johnson see him. and Clay Guida still fun fight. That's a fun I fight. Think, uh, I think that's just fun. Let the legends and the old school guys go at it. I like when they make bookings like that. You take two guys. It makes sense. They're, they're probably not ranked anymore, but they're kind of the older guys and you you book them against each other. Like I like the same kind of concept was Carlos Condit and Matt Brown. 100%. I thought that Love was those great. Fights. perfect matchup. Because the the last thing you want to see is like these young guys starching the older guys in the uh, the UFC. It just makes yeah. you sad. At least yeah. one of them's gonna win. I was upset because like I'm like, why would they put my guy Tanner Bozer against Andre Arlovsky? I was like, they're gonna kill Arlovsky, but mm-hmm. it ended up being the opposite way. Well, Arlovsky's so, I mean, proven to be a good gatekeeper. Pardon me. He's proven to be a good a good gatekeeper, Arlovsky. Yeah, I mean, she's like, I mean, he brought a, ended up bringing a tough fight, but uh, yeah. Well, I don't know if you I don't know if you saw the uh the back and forth between it wasn't like really necessarily a back and forth but the uh, the Instagram post from Conor McGregor and the subsequent Twitter post from uh Dustin Poirier. It looks like we're heading towards the trilogy fight. <laughs> and uh yeah, that was a pretty deep post where he's just kept saying exciting exclamation mark. What a buzz exclamation mark. He's trying to get everyone excited for it. I'm just going to get everybody prepped so that they're not uh, so surprised when it happens. That fight's going to be for the title, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to see the lightweight title on the line in a trilogy fight between Poirier and McGregor. It's going to happen in May. So I'm just getting you primed for it. So, so when it happens, you're not that surprised. All right. Why are you so confident with that? Well, Poirier's next fight's got to be a title fight. Yes, I agree. And if Poirier says he wants to fight McGregor, and that, like now he says, oh, well, there's got to be a trilogy fight... The UFC would be out of their minds to not book that and make the money off of it. And if Poirier's next fight is going to be a title fight, you just put the title on the line. People are going to be disappointed yeah. and say McGregor's coming off a loss. He's 1-2 and two as a lightweight, blah, blah, blah. McGregor, here are the facts. McGregor's a former lightweight champion. His lightweight fights are against Poirier, Khabib, and Eddie Alvarez. He won the title against Alvarez. You can say that he, he's probably not in line for a title fight. I guess he's ranked 6th or something like that. The UFC will spin this. They'll make everybody yes. buy in. Everybody wants to see this trilogy fight anyways. You put a title on the line. Whatever Poirier is eventually going to fight or or Connor, whoever wins that fight, is going to eventually fight the next contender. 
I just feel bad for Charles Oliveira because it looks, it seems apparent to me that he's the odd man out here. You're going to have Gaethje and Chandler most likely for the top number one contendership. And uh, I don't know what Oliveira's going to do. Who's he going to fight? There's nobody there. Why would you have possibly put Oliveira instead of Gaethje? Instead of, uh, sorry, I'm just Connor? lost my mind here. Instead of Connor. Yeah. Not Connor, for the, the other fight there, for like the, uh, for like the, the contender fight. No, I, I don't know. I, I, love, like I love the Chandler, I love the Chandler versus Gaethje fight. And, and it just came out this week that apparently the UFC had approached on short notice Oliveira and Chandler to fight in the co-main event of next week's pay-per-view, the Usman and Burns pay-per-view. Chandler said yes, and, uh, Oliveira, I think wisely said no. I, I, you know, he's, he's not great at weight cutting. And uh, I think that he he probably believes that he should be next in line for the title. But that said, you overplay your hand sometimes, and then you're the odd man out. And I think that's what's where we're heading with Oliveira. I think we're going to see the trilogy fight between Connor and uh, and Poirier for the title in May. That's my guess, if I had to make a guess. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, from a business standpoint, maybe not May. To. Could could be could be June, July. I don't know. But I think that that's probably the direction that we're heading in. Yeah, I actually when I was uh, doing some research for the show today. I, I looked on and was seeing one of the articles were like, oh, so-and-so's fight booked for May 1st. I'm like, we're already booking fights for May 1st. Yeah. I was like, that's yeah, it was, insane. Uh, it was uh, Laramie, TJ Laramie. We're already talking May. Yeah, that's what it was. It was a TJ Laramie. I was, I was surprised. I was like, man, like, I was like, that's so far away. When I thought of it, I'm like, it's only a couple months away. I'm like, that's not too too far away. So, I mean, man, the the, the division flies, fights get booked. Like, it's, it's just a, a crazy well-oiled machine I'm trying to remember who laramie's fighting i think he's staying at uh at um featherweight which i wouldn't recommend i think he should move down to bantamweight he's just he's i just think he's too small for that yeah, division. He's, he's got that he's facing damon jackson who's long long yes, for the that, 40 that guy was did well didn't he come in on last minute notice and and, and pull up a huge upset that guy uh yes but he lost he lost his next fight. fight yeah yeah he ended up subbing um mirsad bektik but uh, yes, that's but what it was last, last here's the thing: you got Laramie, who in his last fight basically dove headfirst into a guillotine against a submission fighter at 145 yeah. pounds, and now you're putting him against a long, rangy submission expert at 145 pounds and Damon Jackson. Like that to me sounds like a horrible idea. If if I'm his manager, I'm not I'm not taking that fight. Yeah, I think Laramie will be too smart, too intelligent. Now I think his strong. That's not a matter of smart and intelligent. Like. Yeah. Damon Jackson will grab you and put you in a submission hold. Like I mean, it doesn't matter how smart you yeah. are. That's that's his game. Yeah. No, I, I I honestly I would I would think that Laramie would be a. I don't know. They probably put him as an underdog. I think he'll be an underdog. I I can see him being an. Uh, he's a favorite in my mind. Again, biased Canadian, knowing him, but I think he really his his top pressure is so heavy. I mean, I'm sure he's tried guys off their back trying to you know submit him for if years. He gets on top, if he gets on top of Damon Jackson, Damon Jackson's gonna throw all kinds of stuff at him. It's, yeah, not that he, and it's not Jackson that he's going to be on top. I don't think he'll get on top of Laramie. No, but I'm saying you're talking about Laramie's top game. Yeah. So if Laramie's on top of Damon, he's going to be throwing up triangles. He's going to be throwing up arm bars. Like that's that's what Damon Jackson does. Yeah, and Laramie ground and pounds you out. Yeah, so let's maybe see what it is. we'll see. But I mean, Laramie should be fighting at bantamweight. Oh yeah, Laramie should move down. How tall yeah, is Laramie? Laramie's like five six. He's isn't he? a little too thick. He's one of those guys like he's he's stocky and big, but his frame can go down a little bit more. Mm-hmm. He definitely he's just a big block to me. He's from his head to his feet. He's just thick block. Yeah, it's, and I'm not not trying to take a shot at the guy, but I believe most of his success has happened at bantamweight. Did it not when he was uh 
fighting. Uh, no, I guess he was a forty-five, right? Because he fought Charles Jordan, he fought Morgan. So yeah, I guess he was a forty-five. I think he went up and down, but yeah, I believe one thirty-five is probably his division. Yeah, in the UFC at least, it's not that Laramie's not going to be able to hang with the the forty-fivers in the UFC. He certainly can, but I just think that he'd have a lot more success at thirty-five. He'd be like you said, his top control would be even heavier at, at thirty-five. He's he's yeah. going to be facing guys that are similar size to him. That's yeah. what I would have done I, if I was if I was managing yeah. him. I'd say like, listen, let, let's move, let's tell the UFC we're moving down to thirty five. Yeah, I just think now, and, and it's just the, the situation. It is a lot of the Canadian fighters are getting in on these one weight class up fights. You know, I mean, I don't think right now Laramie would even have a a, a say to be like, hey, you know what, I'm going to wait this out. It's a lot of times you're kind of you know thrown into these positions. It's really hard to say no. Like you're sitting at home, all these fights are going on, and then you know. Uh, Maynard or, or Shelby call you, you got kind of no choice yeah, but, but to, to jump on these fights. 22, 23. Like, the guy's got time. Like, the, the, yeah. the, and the UFC should be developing him properly. Like, they should be looking well, for fights that are going to be a favorable matchup for him, I, in my opinion. And it's not, it's not, I that, agree. And you're not trying to give the guy layups, but I mean, and, and there really are no layups in the UFC, but I mean, I just think that if you're going to try to build Canadian talent, you got a guy who's young, like, the last thing you want to do is shatter this guy's confidence. Did well yeah. in the contender series, earned a contract. Let's like let's bring him along slowly. Let's you know you don't need to force him to get into situations where he's going to be at a disadvantage. Yeah. Speaking about Canadians, shout out to Charles Jordan. He put a nice uh, shout out on his Instagram to watch my YouTube channel. And while he's doing it, he's like, "Oh, and watch his podcast, Building Hurting Bombs." And look who it is, Aaron Bronstetter. <laughs> look how good it is. So I mean, Charles Jordan gave us a little shout out on Instagram. I like Charles. Charles is a, a very nice Me guy. And his his fight is booked as well, I believe. I think he's got something coming up, if I'm not mistaken. He he called out Cub Swanson. That, that's a, that's a big call out. I yeah. kind of like that. That is a big call. But, I thought, uh, I thought, I thought I that he has booked, something booked. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I know he called out Cub Swanson, and, and Cub Swanson kind of came back like, watch what you asked for, kid, kind of thing like that. Hmm. But, yeah, I would like him and Cub Swanson. I, thought, I saw that he had a, a fight book. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody different. Oh, yeah, Steve Garcia. In March, he's fighting Steve Garcia. Don't know Steve Garcia. I don't know much. I don't know anything about it. I have to I see a picture. Steve, uh, no, I'm thinking of Stephen Stephen Peterson. Steve Garcia. That's that's who I thought he was fighting with. Stephen Peterson. Steve Garcia was he a contender series guy? I'm trying to remember. I, there, there's so many guys in the UFC right now that it's hard for me to keep track of who all these guys are. Steve Garcia and, lost. Uh, to, he lost to Luis Pena. He made his debut about a year ago. Okay. Uh, I notice. know uh, his brother uh, Louis Jordan. I don't know. He ended up was on the Dana White looking for a fight. Yeah, but he ended uh, up losing from Abu Dhabi. Yeah. yeah, it was just good to see him. I mean, mm-hmm. just to get some attention. Young, those kids yeah, got something. Nineteen they got or twenty. An exciting style. They they got that the look to them, the talk. The I don't know. They got something special to them, and they can fight very fun and exciting. And they want to be exciting. Mm-hmm. I really like those kids. And I I like that. Uh, I like his mindset, Jordan, where he's like, I want to fight somebody who I'm scared of. Like he wants to fight Cubs Swanson because he knows he's going to be scared of Cubs Swanson. Like that's yeah, his mindset. Just, he it just gets him more excited cool. for a fight. And then you saw in his last fight against. Uh, and I asked him about this before, and I go, "Are you scared of this guy?" And he was like, "No, I'm not." <laughs> it was Feely, right? No, no, it wasn't Feely. No, Feely. He said he was scared of. It was the guy who yeah. he just fought to a draw with. Um, I forget that guy's I, I name. Feely was his last. No, fight. no, he fought a draw recently against. Uh, I don't remember that guy's name. I'm, I'm, I'm losing my, my, uh, my mind with all these new guys oh, in the that's UFC. All these new guys so in the UFC, I'm losing. Like I'm losing. It was uh, Josh Coolibau. 
So he fought through a split draw with Josh Kulibau. I thought that uh, Jordan won the fight, but uh, ended up being a split draw. But he, I said, like, are you scared of Josh Kulibau? He goes, no, I saw him in the lobby of the hotel. I'm not scared of him. And I, he, I'm like, is that a problem? He was like, yeah, it sort of is, right? Like, yeah. he's honest about it. He's like, you I know, he's like, I want to be scared of him. So that's why he calls out guys like Cub Swanson and why he wants to fight Andre Feely, why he wants to fight yeah. Duho Choi. He likes, he, yeah, he he likes having that pressure. I like it. That's the mentality you have. Even with my career, a lot of times it was like, hey, Joe, fight this guy. And I was like, nah, I'm not a big enough underdog. Mm-hmm. I need to be a bigger underdog. I don't want none of that fight. Right. I don't want a fight that I'm supposed to win. Yeah, and that's, what, that's, no that, and that's what the next fight's going to be. Steve Garcia, he's going to be expected to win that fight. Yeah. Well, he'll get his mindset right. Hopefully he gets some spinning, fancy stuff, and it'll just make a nice little highlight for him. I should, I should interview. I always love interviewing Charles. Maybe I'll see if he's available sometime. Uh, there you so go. We'll see. And After I think, that shout out, yeah, I think, I'm all for it. I think we've got Eamon Zahabi on next week's card too, so I'm I'm looking forward to speaking with uh with him as well. He hasn't fought in some time, so it's good to see him get there back. There was a corona uh, issue with his last fight. Yeah, right? no, he he this had the, he had the coronavirus. Actually, in two weeks is his fight. He had the vid. Yeah, sadly, he got so the vid. He wasn't able to make uh, make the trip, and he said that he he was really feeling the symptoms of it as well. So, but obviously, he's doing better now, and that fight's been rescheduled. So. Uh, He's taking what to a good him. year after that last knockout, right? Over a year, or more than that, yeah. Yeah, good. That's the smart. Oh well, no, no, sorry. After the after the knockout, he's fought since then. But that he he had fought like a year after that knockout, and then he's taken another like nearly two years oh, off. He fought after that. I didn't know he fought after that. Yeah, knockout. he fought. He he lost to uh, Vince. Uh, I don't remember. In a decision, Vince Murdoch. Yeah, Vince Murdoch okay. was it or yeah, Vince Murdoch? I think he lost to. In, in a decision, it was in Ottawa, I think. It was either Ottawa or uh, or Edmonton, one of the two, in one of the two Canadian cards. But uh, so he's he's coming back after some time off. So uh, looking forward to seeing his return. So uh, did you hear this latest Stephen A. Smith thing? I know uh, Stephen A. Smith whenever he talks. I MMA, actually have not. Up. I actually have not, and I wanted to ask about it because I've seen a lot of media about it. Well, apparently he went on a podcast and said he's not really comfortable watching women fight in MMA. He doesn't like that girls fight, uh, that females rather fight in MMA. And uh, people are really piling on him. And, but you know what, though? Here's what my thought is. Like, imagine if he had, like, this is a sport, right? Like, MMA is a sport. At this time, point in time, it's an established major sport in North America. If he had come out and said, I don't like seeing women play tennis, like, what? Uh, people would d- destroy him if he said that. And I know, and people are saying, well, it's, it's his opinion. It's, you know, he's, he's entitled to give his opinion on it. And, you know, if maybe if that's just his preference. It's like, but what happens if, if, like, if somebody came out and said, like, I don't like watching women's basketball. I don't think they should be playing basketball. It's yeah. like, it's, you're basically, to an extent, I mean, I know that this is a combat sport, so it's a little bit different. I mean, you're, you're watching women, uh, you know, punch each other, kick each other, and that might make some people squeamish. But, I mean, why are you squeamish watching that and not watching men do the same thing? Like, if you said mixed martial arts, I can't watch mixed martial arts. It makes me squeamish. I don't like watching the violence of it. Um, totally fair. Like, I think yeah. that's a totally fair thing to say. Uh, you know, it's the same as saying I don't like watching baseball because I think it's boring. Right? Like, it's the same kind of Yeah. But fair. Yeah. when you say I don't like watching, like, women are on the same card as the men, right? Like, it's basically, it's, there's, it's not women's mixed martial arts and men's mixed martial arts. It's, it's mixed martial arts on the same cards. Right? Yeah. So when you say I I don't like watching I don't think women should be fighting I don't like watching women mix martial arts, to me that's, you know that's not really a, a very. It's not a very uh, I don't know I don't even know what the word is but, to me that this that seems off like that just seems off that you're comfortable seeing one gender compete in something and one gender not compete in something like wh- why shouldn't yeah. women compete in it because like, and, and it's not that he said women shouldn't compete in it, it just says he doesn't he says he doesn't like it but what's the difference. Yeah. 
Like, what's the difference yeah. between women competing? And he goes, one thing I will never uh, agree to is men fighting women. It's like, well, nobody's saying that they should. Like, there's nobody's... Yeah. Dana White's not coming out and saying we're doing a mixed-gender division. It's like, yeah. it's like, it's like listen, that's not a hot take. You can say, I don't want to see men and women fight. And that's great. And hey, maybe one day it happens. I don't, I don't know. I'm not for that at this point in time. But maybe if, if, for whatever reason, that ends up being a thing, I'll have to go back to the drawing board and maybe... Because men, and, because men and women spar in gyms, right? Like, I mean, that's not a thing yeah. that is foreign. It's just not really done on, you know. Obviously, I think that that's a, that would be a, a very different story. But to say, I just don't. I don't think women should be fighting in mixed. I, I don't like watching women compete in mixed martial arts. It's like, well, you should instead of just saying that, you should lay out why you think there's a difference. Like, why is there a difference between women fighting women and men fighting men? Yeah. Well, my main thing is it's. Like you said, there's two things there. It's like, I don't like it, or they shouldn't be. Yeah, I think he said, I don't like it. He stated a preference. Yeah, so I don't, I don't want to put words like, in this guy's mouth. I was like, okay, like, yeah. who are you to say that? But if you don't like it, like you said, that's all your opinion. Go go nuts. Don't watch it. You know, I know a lot of people who agree that they don't like the women's fight. I know a lot of people who say they don't like watching the flyweights fight. Okay, I get it. That's your opinion. You know, some people think it's the most technical. So that's your opinion to have on what you like and don't like. Sometimes I'll say, man, ah, I even said those heavyweight fights, they're sloppy. I don't want to watch these sloppy heavyweight fights sometimes. So, I mean, I can see the opinion, but yeah, that, uh, to say that they shouldn't is a big No, but you're, 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 making, you're stating a bit of a difference here. Like if you say, I don't like watching women fight because I don't, I don't like the fighting style or I don't like the pacing or I don't like, you know, I, I prefer to see something with a higher knockout rate or something, then at, le- then at least you're, ma- you're stating a reason. Yeah, that's the point, yeah. But if you but say, if I you just say don't like. shouldn't. Uh, yeah, or if you, just, like, if you just say, I just don't like seeing a woman hit another woman, it's like, well, what's the difference? Like, what's the difference between that and a man hitting a man? Because that's, I mean, that's what I'm curious about. Yeah, it could be a little bit of a different example, but I mean, it's just like sometimes, like if you're a traditional family man, you look at your mother as the caregiver, the, the gender stereotypical roles, like a mother looking at my mom looking at me being like, I don't want to see my son get hit. It's like, but she's okay. Maybe she's okay with seeing other kids get hit, yeah. you know? So, I mean, it, it, it's tough. It's, it's a touchy subject and I don't think it's right to, to do it that way. And he's going to take a lot of a lot of issues with that, but yeah, don't say they shouldn't. But it just might not. Yeah, be I, don't, I don't think he said. I don't think he said they shouldn't. I, I again, I don't want to put words in the guy's mouth. I can find the quote. No, but still, no, but I still think it's important that he gives an explanation of why he thinks that. Well, let me see especially if I can. I'm going to pull up the quote, especially if you're a journalist in in the position he is. Well, Joanna Janjacek fired back and said, "We women don't need your support." And yeah, fair enough. There you go. Yeah. So he goes, "Where I jump, oh." Let's see. For example, I don't ever want to see a, a woman boxing a man. Okay, but one sec. I don't. I don't want to see a woman in the UFC fighting a man. Okay. Well, we we got we got through that point. Uh, here. When I think about pugilistic sports, I don't like seeing women involved in it, in that at all. I just don't like it. I wouldn't promote legislating laws to prohibit them from doing so. But I don't want to see women punching each other in the face. I don't want to see women fighting in the octagon and stuff like that. But that's just me. Okay. So that's the quote. The why, the why is missing. The why is missing. The why is missing. I guess he's. Is yeah. it because they're not good enough? Is it because they're boring? Is it because? Or maybe he just doesn't like seeing know? women get hurt. I mean, that would be, you know, explain it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Is like you need to give a better explanation as to why you're. Yeah. Stephen A. Smith is a person of immense power in in the sports space. He's mm-hmm. one of the the foremost commentators on sports in North America today might be the probably the most probably his opinion I think resonates more than anybody else's or at least is amplified 
more than anybody else's in the sports world in North America today. So if you're going to come out and say something like that, I, th I really think you need to give a little bit more context to it before, you know, saying something along those lines. Because his words carry oh. power. Yeah, I mean, fight of the year last year. Our nominee was the fight was the uh, Wei Li against Yun Jacek. So yeah. the women are putting the most exciting fights in the UFC. So I mean, back it up. Why you don't like it? I think if you're going to make a bold statement like that, I mean, eventually it's going to get. Eventually, we're going to have these conversations with transgenders, and I think it it will always get. Well, people say that, but we have we've had the conversation. Fallon Fox fought in in. Uh, mixed martial arts. Ashley Evans Smith beat her. She hasn't really. But fought what since. more trans more transgenders want to get in now? Like, where do they compete? What's yeah. legal? Well, What's that that, that, com that, that mean, conversation can happen. Messy. That conversation can happen when it happens. But I mean, at the same time. Yeah. But I'm surprised yeah. it hasn't happened. Like, it has happened. Though. Invite... It's happened. It has. Yeah, Fallon okay, Fox. Like, not more though. Come on, it should be happening more. Like we've had some transgender come into bazooka kickboxing and train like that. So I mean, it's just very. Um, I'm curious to see what what they decide in the in the future, like with when it becomes more popular, maybe. Yeah, I, I guess we'll see. But I mean, yeah. I think we've kind of had the con like when Fallon Fox was fighting, it we've had that conversation. She fought, she lost to Ashley Evans Smith. Like I mean, she wasn't she was, but she was winning fights by knockout, and I think people were getting uncomfortable with that. That being said, like you said, if people need, people need to set some sort of parameters, I guess. But I I mean. We also need to get treat people <laughs> with equal rights, right? Like we. But so, what if Ashley Evans Smith lost and got knocked out? Now I don't know. And then what happens? And everyone can give the you know the example of okay, well the testosterone levels of a man compared to women. No, no, but that's power, but that's regulated by the commissions. Yeah. Right. Like if you had a if you had a higher testosterone that, that than what is allowed by the commissions, you'd get flagged. Right. So, I mean, we have to remember but that. That's too. the difference between men and women. Right. The biggest difference between a man and a woman is the testosterone levels. And that's why men are stronger, bigger, you know, more muscular is because we have that extra testosterone in our body. So, I mean, if that's I mean, that's the biggest advantage and disadvantage when it comes to sport is the anabolic steroid use. So that's basically someone on steroids versus someone not on steroids. But again, not necessarily. Saying, I'm, I'm if it's being regulated by the commissions, not necessarily, right? Like if the commissions are, are looking at, are doing testing and they're looking at these levels, then that, then it's regulated, right? Like then you yeah, have- Both levels will be within the appropriate range, right? Just the female's range would be a lot lower, but maybe, the transgender's testosterone might be at the yeah, but the, but again, if it's peak. but if it's yeah, maybe, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that that same thing doesn't happen with two men fighting. Maybe a man like a one man might have a much higher testosterone than another man, and if they're still within the range, the fight's still yeah, sanctioned, yeah. right? Like, yes. So I don't know. I think bit, yeah. I think we'll cross I, that I we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But I mean, when we get there, yeah. I just I just don't. It's not really a, have, like, yeah. It's not really an issue at this point in time, though. Like we haven't really seen it become any sort of big issue and, and not really in sports as a whole. I mean, it's, but it's we, also we saw, the atmosphere. I know we've had talked to, I don't know one openly gay MMA fighter. Yeah. I don't think there the is UFC. one. Well, male, male. There's many openly yeah, gay female. One male, yeah, yeah. One male gay MMA fighter. Yeah. I, I don't think there, I, there's gotta be, I haven't heard of it. Of like, course. Oh, for sure. It's just a culture. Like, but, but I mean, it's not just an MMA culture. It's, it's a sports culture. How many openly gay NBA players are there right now? Active NBA players. How many openly gay yeah, active NFL football, players are there? Zero. Actively gay, openly gay hockey players. I think it's a, it's a culture of sports where there's yeah, a, there's a, still a stigma true. attached to it, and there's I'm sure there's still lots of joking in locker rooms and in gyms and everything like that. The where it's still and, yeah. no, but it's just still not something that has is considered 
it's still something that people joke about, and and that would make somebody probably a little bit nervous about coming out. And that's been a, a big issue in society as a whole for for a long anyway, time. So I mean, I just think I'm so open to it that it's kind of it's weird to me that it's not. Yeah. Oh, that's for the sure. Point. Like I just think it's so weird that you can't be a, a fighter and gay. Like or it's, it's not that you can't. It's just yet. it's just a lot of. I think a lot of these athletes are are a lot of the athletes mentioned. You know, they'll come out after their careers. I mean, Jason Collins is an example of a of an openly gay basketball player who still played in the NBA. But it's he's yeah. like the very rare exception to the rule. But I think if it would be a huge storyline, I think if anything, like if you're proud or, or I guess if you would be if you were proud you would say it. But I mean that would be a huge storyline on probably all of the fights that you're promoting, leading a pack. Like you can be someone that makes a big impact on it being like that first person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I know that a lot of the women in the sport are very open about being openly gay, and they, during uh, Pride Month they they do a lot of um, PSAs and things of, of that nature. So that's that's a good thing. But like you said, it's, it it is interesting that there are no openly gay male fighters or. Yeah. But like I said, again, it's I think it's just in sports as a whole, in North, especially in North yeah. America, you just don't see it. And I think it's because yeah. the locker rooms are still in a, in this kind of archaic stage where. People are still, you know, poking fun and all of that, which is just—it's not right. What an what an off tangent we went on. Yeah, we yeah we, we went off today. I, I like don't even know. I don't know how we got here, but that's that's how we roll. Oh, the Stephen A. Smith no conversation. Thing. Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, they, he's to blame. He's to blame for us getting. For it. Yeah, so let's. Right. Uh, I'm trying to think right, of well, some fights. Uh, give me. I always like to say, give me at least two, three fights that I got to keep a very close eye on because a lot of these prelim guys, I don't know the name, and I just. A few that I should be really close, paying close attention to. You're talking about this particular card. This particular card, yeah. I just want to know a few that I mean. Now, t- I know a few. Timur Valiev, one that you think really stands out. Timur Valiev was a, a big fighter in in the PFL. He was, uh, and he lost his uh, debut. He was a he was like, a big favorite in his debut against Trevin Jones. Arguably, should have been stopped in the first round, but Dr- Jones got out of it, came back, and knocked out. Probably the, one of the better comebacks you'll ever see in MMA. Knocked out Valiev in the, I believe it was in the second or third. Uh, and now Valiev's having his comeback fight against Martin Day. Um, so he's he's somebody to watch. I think that he'll have a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Um, I'm trying to think of what... Uh, uh, Justin Jane's taking a short notice fight against Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith came in with a lot of fanfare, but he, he was, uh, I guess, the biggest favorite to lose a men's fight, I think maybe in history. Uh, in the UFC, when he lost to Kama Worthy, he was a minus eight hundred favorite and lost to Kama Worthy. Yeesh. And then in his in his uh, most, and I guess he hasn't fought since. I guess so. He's coming back after a nearly two year layoff against Justin James. Justin James just took the fight on short notice. He trains in Vegas, and he seems to be one of these guys that they call on short notice if, if they need somebody. Um, because Smith's opponent dropped out uh, dropped out of the fight. Um, let's see what else do we got here. Uh, I mentioned Askar Askar earlier. I think he's uh, he's worth watching for sure. I, I'm interested to see he's de- his debut. He's a pretty big underdog against Cody Stamen. So uh, yeah, a couple couple things there um, that are that are certainly and, wa- worth watching. And uh, what for. am I going to put my mortgage down on? What's my one bet? Well, it's okay. My TSN. My, you want to know my TSN edge picks? So I do. My TSN edge picks was uh, the over two and a half rounds in in Volkov Overeem. It's um, over two and a half. It's minus one fifteen now. 115. I like that a yeah, lot. Over two and a half. And the other pick I had was uh, Michael Johnson inside the distance. Or, sorry, Michael Ooh, Johnson okay. by KO. Michael Johnson by KO was plus 245. Okay. And then my you other my other, my other, other pick got, uh, the fight got postponed. I liked uh, 
Macy something with Macy's chase on, but uh, that got that got postponed. All right, so that's. Uh... Next so those week, are my two. Rocking some good. I'll buy a Rolex after next there you uh, go. this week's. Well, if you put enough there money on go. it, then sure. Ready to go. Big money coming in. Yeah, don't don't put your don't put your mortgage on it, or uh, as Dan Tom says, don't follow me off this cliff. So uh, yeah. that, that's what well, I would say about that last one. Last time, so I got to ride the uh, the Aaron. Well, I'm, I've got the hot hand right now. That's for sure. All right, you're you're in. You're focused. Yeah. And you're confident. Yeah, I mean, if you would like if you would have tailed my picks for UFC 257, you'd be a, a very rich man right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's, the, I think it's probably the best you... week I will ever have. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, yeah. if I if I have a better week than that one, I will be surprised. Yeah. Well, what I like about your picks is one, they're well thought out, but you don't always pick the winner to lose because I think a lot of times, you know, like you can be biased in them. So you look at the prop bets, and I think that's important: the finish or the non-finish, the rounds. So I like your prop bet picks. I'm good at those, and I mean, the other thing about that is, like, if I get four four of those wrong. But I hit Juliana Pena by submission at plus four fifty. I'm still up, right? Like yeah. that's the thing that you're gonna have to think about. Like it's not just about your record. You could you could be like your your gambling record could be like you know three and twenty. But if the three things you bet on were like plus a thousand, you're you're still up. If they're like if you're doing yeah. just parlays or something, and one of your big parlays come through, you're you're still up. So that's the way you gotta look at it. Sometimes your picks, I mean. You always give the underdog the credit. So, I mean, sometimes like, hmm, I'm not going to pick Aaron's pick on this because he gives the underdog too much credit. But sometimes. I think your prop bets are your, your best. Yeah, I, I tend to do well with those because you're just looking for likely outcomes, right? And I think likely outcomes are, are interesting because you get more value on those. Because, because like it. It, well, here's what I actually said in my TSN Edge video for, for Michael Johnson and Guida. I said, if you, if you wanted to take... $100. Let's say you have $100 to bet on Clay Guida versus Michael Johnson. I say you bet 50 on Johnson by KO plus 245, and you take 50, and you bet it on Guida by decision plus 300. Because I think those two outcomes are, are almost certainly how the fight ends. I don't think that Guida's yeah. going to submit Johnson. I don't think Johnson's going to submit Guida. I don't think Johnson's going to win a decision, although that I think is, is a possible outcome. But I think if it goes to a decision, it's probably going to be because Guida held Johnson down successfully. So if you if you took yes. 100 bucks and you bet on both of those outcomes and one of them happens, you're still you're still betting the same amount you would on like let's say you were going to bet on Michael Johnson to win outright yeah. and he's yeah. minus 220. So if it's minus 220, you bet 100 bucks, you win something like 50 bucks back. You win 50 bucks. Yeah. yeah. But if you took 100 bucks, you bet 50 on Johnson by KO and that happens at plus 245, you win $180, I think it is. Um, Makes sense. Or uh, yeah, I guess one hundred and one hundred and eighty, something along those lines, over a hundred dollars. And if and you plays even, and money, if you bet, probably. no. But then if you bet Clay to win by decision, oh, by decision. at plus three hundred, yeah. and you bet fifty bucks on that, you end up winning one hundred and fifty dollars. You just gotta hope Clay Guida doesn't knock him out or submit him. But how often does Clay Guida knock out and submit people? Right. So again, you're looking at yeah. at likely outcomes. So that's the way yeah. I like to look at it. Is like, I, I think you're, you get a lot of value on specific outcomes that that people are like. Instead of saying, "I think that guy's going to win," if you if if you can find value in in specific outcomes, I feel like that's a better path because in the long run, even if you lose more than you win, you're still going to be up because you're you're taking things that have more value. Yeah, it's almost like uh, sometimes when I was young, I would play roulette that way. So you can play roulette in, in uh, thirds. You can play first and uh, the first quadrant, middle quadrant, end quadrant. So you can play in the, the thirds. So you bet on two of the three thirds because it pays three to one. So at that point, you only lose if it hits 
you know, the one quadrant you didn't bet. So, I mean, by picking two of the three, you're more yeah, like likely a 66% to win. chance of, of it exactly. It's a little okay. bit better, but minus the zeros or something. So it's a little bit less, but I mean, at that point you still have a better chance of winning. You just got to hope, you know, two out of the three times you'll, you'll get something. Yeah. That's how they get Instead you. Of, you know, tripling up your money, you're only doubling up, which is still good though. Cause yeah, the odds are sure. better in your hand. I like the way you there think you Joe. And that's why I have you as a co-host for the show safety. on a weekly basis. That's it. Safe, safe bets. I'm not, I'm not a risky better. I, I, you know what? When they, when they asked me who I, I thought would be a good co-host for this, I said, if we're going to be talking roulette on occasion, I think Joe's our guy. That, that's, that's the way that it that's came. That's it. Came oh, me. yeah. I'm known in the roulette community as <laughs> yeah. uh, the second and third. Yeah, rolling Joe. <laughs> rolling Joe. <laughs> oh, actually, that's, Joe. that's craps is the rolling. The, the, I don't know. You, I can't play craps. I don't know. Yeah, I'm blackjack in roulette. That's it. I'm just blackjack. Blackjack that's, Joe. That's all right, Joe. Jack, Jack. Well, we'll we'll, right, we'll be back with Blackjack Joe next week. Uh, pay-per-view we event, Usman, Burns. That's a fun one, and we'll break that one down next week. We'll recap uh, this past week's card. It's uh, nice to have you back in Canada, Joe. I'm sorry you're you're, half, you're stuck in quarantine for 14 days, but that, that just, jail. just gives jail. gives you more time to talk. Jail. Yeah, jail, your, your luxury condo <laughs> is, a, is, is a horrible place to be. Oh, uh, sorry, one last thing. Here's my interview with Manel Cape. He's uh, facing Alessandra Pantoja. This weekend at uh, UFC Fight Night, that should be an awesome fight. So uh, here's my interview with Manel. And again, thanks for tuning in this week. Enjoy. We saw a fantastic debut at UFC 257. It was Michael Chandler uh, having a fantastic night. Now we've got one of the top up-and-coming flyweights from outside of the UFC making his debut in the UFC. is Manel Kopp. Manel, I want to ask you something about what Michael Chandler had said about being a, uh, a backup fighter for the championship. You got to do that back in December. How much did it help you to go through a fight week without having to, to compete? Uh, you know, I've been, I've been in this business a long time, you know. Uh, this was supposed to be my uh, um, uh, six, six, six uh, championship fight. So for me, it's normal. You know, I feel I'm, uh, I've been doing this a long time. I've been fighting for championship belts. Uh, so long time. I was I was ready. I was um, very confident for for the for for that debut and back up if uh, if the fight happened. Do you feel like uh, there was any sort of difference? Uh, but I guess between a UFC fight week and a fight week in a different promotion. Uh, uh, you know, um, UFC is UFC. You know, is the biggest promotion in the world. Uh, so we need uh, uh, respect to this. But this is my job. This is a fight. I don't will fight against UFC. I, I will fight against some somebody that fight in UFC. I'm not a businessman. I'm not a promoter. So I'm not compete against UFC. I'm compete against Pantoja, Davidson, or somebody like that. You know. So I'm focused on the fight. I'm not focused on uh, on uh, on promoter. You know. Have you enjoyed living and training in America? I know you've been training at AKA in San Jose. Uh, you had previously trained at, uh, in Thailand with Mike Swick at that AKA branch. Mm-hmm. Is is uh is being good very 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 well, you know I improve a lot. I, I was think that uh, I was good, but when I come here, um, I improve a lot a lot. I feel much better. I feel more mature, more disciplinated, and um, everything just in in details, and uh, these little details make the difference. I heard you say something interesting in an interview. You've got three straight wins, uh, all in the second round, second round KO, I believe. 
you said you like doing uh, having a second round KO more than a first round KO because you get to really showcase your skills in the first round and really uh, yeah. put a beating on someone. So <laughs> walk me through that. Why a second round KO versus a first round KO? Would you prefer a third round KO to a second round KO? No, I prefer second round. You know, my first round is for give some show. You know, I like I, I like see how they move. I like see uh, how they react and I, I guess my movements and uh, pick picking picking apart. You know, broke his nose. Uh, uh, beat, uh, beat his body, and then second round is uh, the time for uh, I know knock out the man. He, he can handle against my my hands on second round. Nobody can handle against my my hands on second round. What do you think of Pantoja? He's an action fighter. He's very good everywhere. Uh, when you've watched videos of him, uh, what's your reaction to him? No, he's a good fighter. Of course, he fight uh, against everybody in. Um, um, in UFC, the number one till number num number six, he fight against everybody. Uh, but uh, if you see, compare me and him, uh, my abilities was uh, very high against him. It's very slow. It's uh, predictable. I'm unpredictable, you know. And um, I have a, a big a big advantage against Pantoja in uh, mental games. Uh, I'm more smart than him. It's like automatic. So, you you will see what I'm talking about Saturday. How did you become a mixed martial artist? You're from Angola, and there's not a lot of people from Angola that have uh, made a transition mm. to martial arts. I'd love to hear your background. No, uh, my background started in Portugal. You know, I was just born in Angola, but uh, I left Angola very very early with my four years old, four years old, and live in Portugal all my all all my life. Is in Portugal that I started. Uh, the mixed martial art, but before I started uh, in boxing, because my father was uh, was a former world champion boxing, I started in boxing with my six years old, then started jujitsu with twelve, and MMA with uh, thirteen. And I heard, I believe you have four brothers, and your dad. I've I've heard that your dad is a uh, uh, really mm -hmm. puts an emphasis on hard work, and that was something that really yes. helped you growing yes. up. But what was yes. it like having yes. four brothers? Were you the smallest of the brothers? No, no, no! I'm the second, uh, oh, uh, the second old. I'm the second old. We are five. We are five. I have uh, the more older than me. All doing the mixed martial arts. So all of them, all of them compete. Yeah, they all they compete. So how old are all of them? Uh, twenty-nine. I think twenty-nine. I think twenty-nine. Twenty-nine. And that's uh, that's your 20. oldest brother. Yeah, the oldest brother. Twenty-nine. And, and he's a boxer. Yeah, he's a boxer. He's a professional boxer now. And you have three younger brothers then? Then I have, yes, three younger brothers. One do, do, uh, do MMA, another boxing. Uh, another is the future of the boxing, believe me. It's Francisco Gomes. Mark, mark his name. Francisco Gomes is the, the future. And then I have uh, the small one with 14 years old. He did he, 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 he trained in boxing too. When will we see your other brother who's in uh, mixed martial arts uh, in the UFC? How long before he gets there? No, he already makes some, uh, he already make the amateur amateur fights. He have uh, a good result, you know, and uh, we expect now this year he, he uh, starting professional, professional. What did you think of the last fight uh, for the title between Figueiredo and Moreno? Uh, obviously a very close fight. There was a draw, but uh, did you mm. learn anything from that fight? I learned, you know, uh, Brandon expo exposed the, the game of Figueiredo, exposed a lot, a lot. And Brandon is not kind of this, this kind of the fighter that uh, I think can be a champion. He's not like, not like, 
the 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 tough 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 fighter you know is uh, i i saw brandon with a, a regular a normal fighter is not not more than this you know uh but i'm thinking that davison win the fight you know he win the fight uh but expose a lot to the game of davison and uh and show what i'm talking about so long time about davison you know is uh davison is a good guy just in first round then he start to be very very slow so you think that because it was a five-round fight, you got to, to really see more of Davison? I mean, Davison has a lot of first-round finishes. You don't get to see him compete over the course of five full rounds. And now that he's the champion, he's going to yeah. have to do that. So, so you learned a lot from just getting to watch Moreno compete with him. Yes, I, I, learned, I learned a lot. I, I, was, I was watching. If, he, if you saw all fighters that uh, Davison lose, it was um, in third round, you know, so... Brandon exposed him and he, uh, about the cardio and about the, the rounds, you know. You seem like a very calm guy, but I watched a video of you today. You were watching a video of Kaya Sakura on a laptop and you smashed the laptop on the ground. What did he say? I'm, I'm interested in what he said that made you so angry. No, um, we have two fights, you know. It was a robe in the first fight. I win easy, you know. He win easy. He told me that he... He, he win, he win that fight, uh, you know, and you can see in, in my first fight against Kaya Sakura in his face, he, he don't believe that win the fight, he don't believe that win the fight, he, and I know that he know that he lose the fight, everybody know, but, and I did in, in second fight. <laughs> and then you broke the laptop, and we saw what happened in the second fight, you, bro you know, you broke yeah. him like you broke the laptop in that second fight. Yeah, I told that, bro, I mean, and I told that I'm gonna smash him on second round. I told. And there it is. So, are you hoping for a second round finish against Pantoja this weekend? One hundred percent. This is my this is my strategy. Broke his nose, beat his body, and uh, finish in on second round. Well, you're in Las Vegas. You can bet on you to win in the second round, and the odds are probably like nine or ten to one. Are you going to get some people to go out and get some tickets for you? No, I uh, don't have uh, nobody here. Um, not not uh, my 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 base fan, but will be my base fan. <laughs> All right, Minal, well, it's a pleasure to get to meet you. Uh, best of luck this weekend against Ale Alexander Pantoja, and I uh, really look forward to watching uh, what you can do in the UFC. I think you match up very well with Thank the you. champion Davison Figueroa, and hopefully we get to see that Thank fight you. sometime this year. I appreciate. It. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.